Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. John White, WebMD's Chief Medical Officer and host of the Spotlight On series from WebMD's Health Discovered podcast. For this special two-part episode, you'll hear up-close and personal journeys about being diagnosed with a rare type of cancer, multiple myeloma. I started in myeloma nearly 25 years ago. And at that time, the average expectation of life in someone with myeloma was maybe one to two years. But even just in this last 10 to 12 years, we have doubled, if not tripled, the average survival of patients. I saw a new patient this week, and we had this conversation that based on what we've done over the last decade, my expectation is that patient's going to live more than 10 years. Listen to Health Discovered on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to This is Civity Radio Show. I'm Gina Valeria. Civity helps people in communities build a culture of respect and empathy across difference, and our interviews explore how people across the country and world are doing this in their communities. Today, we welcome Rachel Parrish, Executive Director of Welcoming America, an organization leading a movement that brings together communities and other organizations seeking inclusion as a way of making everyone feel as if they belong with the ultimate goal of helping communities become more prosperous together. Rachel, welcome. It's great to have you. Tell me, first of all, I'd love to know a little bit more about Welcoming America. What are the goals of your amazing organization? Our goal is really to make this idea of being welcoming a social norm, which means uh, that in every place where people live and where immigrants are coming to, we can all feel like we belong and we all have the tools to be able to thrive. Great. So tell me also... What are some of the biggest challenges? Well, actually, if, before we do that, you have this model where you're bringing communities together um, and having people join in sort of a collaborative effort. So I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that model, uh, the idea of bringing in partners, of, of cr- creating a network. What are the benefits of that? With most big problems and opportunities that we're tackling, it's pretty obvious that going it alone is not going to bring the resources, the ideas, the energy to make big and important things happen, so we need to come together to create an environment where everyone can drive and belong. In communities, when demographic change happens, is that it's not really anybody's job to make sure that that change goes well. When you go through a change of this scale, demographic change, when your community is seeing new immigrants arrive, that it really takes everyone coming to the table to say, how do we make sure this goes well? Uh, and make sure that folks that have lived here all their lives or new people arriving, that every institution in this community is making it their job to help uh, ensure that folks can, can feel at home, whether you're a local government or or uh, just a neighbor trying to help your neighbor find their place. Yeah, that is something that I think so many communities, as you say, are struggling with and don't know how to navigate and it feels as if it's getting more and more entrenched in tribal and tribal politics and issues. So I'm curious, um, you're taking on this work, which of course we call very civity oriented because civity wants to also try to break down these divides and connect people. What are some of the major challenges or challenges you faced as you, uh, as you've moved through this work? A lot of people are living in fear because of uh, the environment that doesn't feel welcoming. At the same time, you know, in in the work that we've done at Welcoming America, we've seen that all over the country there are people who are acting on this instinct um, to create a community uh, that works better for everyone. 
I think that actually the biggest challenge is that many of the people you know who, who are following that instinct don't realize that there are others uh, you know in other communities who are struggling with that with that same challenge. There are, um, and there's and there's data to support this. Far more places, uh, at least when it comes to immigration, that are in a kind of tolerant space. So. Uh, you know, they're not doing things to actively exclude people. They just haven't, you know, spent time thinking about what they can do to actively include people. Uh, and so the moment we're in right now is one of, you know, really helping connect the dots, helping people see that there are others around the country who want to do this work and, uh, you know, find inspiration in that. Uh, and then really giving people the tools to to make their uh, businesses, their communities, uh, the institutions they're working in, places that um, everyone can find a home in. I really love what you just said, that people aren't actively excluding, but they just don't know how to include. And that, gosh, that that's such a powerful statement because, you know, inertia or not taking action is, you know, on its face leading to exclusion. But nobody really means that or wants that. And so I, I do think you're right that people don't have the tools or they don't know how to navigate this. And, and that can be a challenge. So I, uh, how do you get in there? Or do you have an anecdote of maybe uh, a community where uh, you face this challenge and, uh, and, and, we're able to, and we're able to make some difference? Well, Welcoming America's story uh, began in Tennessee, in Nashville, uh, and you know, like a lot of other places in the country, Nashville had changed very rapidly. Yeah. And you know, as I said earlier, there was there wasn't really anybody that was responding to that change. Um, and so, one of the very first welcoming initiatives, uh, you know, was about trying to bring the community together uh, in a way that it hadn't been before, literally to break bread <laughs> together, immigrants and uh, and non-immigrants, um, you know, who often don't have that chance to to meet and build a relationship um, in what are often very segregated communities or, you know, where cultural or, or linguistic divides, uh, you know, make that uncomfortable. Um, so they uh, were brought together to, to break bread. Um, there was an effort to really um, look at the, the messages that people were hearing about immigrants in the community uh, and to help people find the common values. Um, and uh, and to organize leaders in that case, not uh, so much around a policy initiative, but really around this task of building uh, a welcoming community. And and once that work happened and and helped uh, begin to shift the climate and the way that people were seeing themselves, then it was possible for you know some good policy work to take place. Um, and we've seen that time and again all over the country that if you can create that fertile soil where people are coming together, um, creating an experience that helps uh, one another feel like they belong, then you can move on to make sure uh, that, you know, the barriers that people face to participating civically, socially, economically, um, you know, can be removed uh, through policies or, or through um, programs. And one of the things that we've done at Welcoming America is really uh, codify those things uh, into something that we call the Welcoming Standard, uh, which outlines... Um, what the field has told us are the most important things for communities to be doing uh, at all levels um, to make sure that that people can really belong and thrive. Okay. Yeah. Tell me a little bit more about that. Um, how did you come to to those to those tenets? Well, uh, both uh, experience uh, and research. Um, so after uh, after the Nashville experiment happened, um, we started working uh, at Welcoming America with uh, many other communities around the country. 
uh, places like Dayton, Ohio, uh, which created one of the first uh, welcoming plans uh, in the country, uh, places like Louisville, Kentucky, Salt Lake County, many others, uh, you know, in a, a, a real uh, rich variety of different contexts, small communities, large communities. Um, and we just, you know, began both, you know, supporting and connecting those places to one another, but also observing uh, what worked. It, it's a terrific learning laboratory that we have um, of communities everywhere uh, and now actually increasingly outside the U.S. Um, and, you know, really the welcoming standard was about looking at the, the common denominators of what works um, to build a more inclusive community. We gathered uh, practitioners and researchers to, to look at some of the things we were finding and say, what you know, what are the things that are most important and also most practical across all these different contexts? Uh, and that became the welcoming standard. That's fantastic. So what does work? Uh, so people are listening, saying, man, my community, I got to bring you in. But what what does work? Because it seems so big and so intractable. And even when you're in the policy world, people might agree on the solution. But as, you, as we all know very well, the specifics are so hard. So what, what have you found works at making at gaining some traction in these communities? Yep. Well, one thing I think is just an important process piece. We found, uh, and I mentioned Dayton as having created uh, one of the first welcoming plans in the country. Dayton realized that it, it wanted to be a welcoming community, and it went through this very powerful process of asking residents there what that would look like for them, uh, residents, community leaders uh, from across different sectors, business, faith, government. Um, and there are now more than uh, 50 of these plans that have been created. Uh, and it's a powerful act to say, what does it mean for us in this community to be a welcoming place? Oh, wow. I mean, Welcoming America can 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 share the kinds of things that are working in other places. But I think it's very important for communities to see that this is something that they have agency over. Um, so going through and, and through the process of creating one of these plans and, and really, you know, speaking to, to immigrant communities, what would make you feel more welcome? Uh, speaking to the broader community, you know, what makes you feel more welcome too is, is really key. Um, a second ingredient that's really important um, is is institutionalizing this work within local government. Uh, you know, obviously, so many of the services and touch points um, to communities come through a local government, um, and so many places have now established an office or a position within government um, who makes it their role uh, to be both outward facing. Uh, you know, to make sure that, you know, residents are participating in and informing, uh, you know, a welcoming strategy, but also inward facing. So how can every department within within government think about, uh, you know, the, the role it needs to play in fostering inclusion? And there are now more than uh, about 40 of these offices, and that's just a huge change in the wow. last decade or so. Wow. Uh, when there were maybe just a handful in, in 2010. Yeah. And then the last thing I'll say uh, in the standard, I think of these three ends, um, I call them narrative, neighbors, and norms. Uh, and narrative is really about, you know, making sure that consistently leaders are lifting up a message of inclusion broadly in the community, a positive message. Neighbors is the work that uh, I know is very important to civity of just bringing mm -hmm. people together to, to find um, common ground, uh, work on common projects together. And norms are all of the different policies and practices uh, that need to be in place in a community um, so that people can participate. So everything from making it easier for folks to serve on boards and commissions to making it easier for people to open and start a business, buy a home, uh, participate in their child's education, building trust and reducing those barriers are just key. 
what I was really noticing as you were talking were two things, well, a lot of things, but two main things. One is the, the intentionality of it all, is really naming it as, as one of the civity co-founders, Palma Strand, likes to always remind us it's important to name things. And just naming that inclusion is important, naming that you need to go in and be specific about how to do that um, helps us recognize and be aware of it, which I think is, is so important, and you've captured that so beautifully. Um, and then the other the other thing that really jumped out at me was the very first thing you said about giving communities agency. We all feel so good when someone just asks us to take part and 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 to share. I bet that's that's been a very powerful uh, step in this process of, of of helping these communities connect with each other. Yes, and I think that's so much of what people are yearning for right now is you know that uh, both a sense of agency and belonging. And you know, I often say, especially when it comes to immigration, you know, we, there's a tendency to think that this is about aliens, but it's actually about alienation. And I think, you know, that, that, that common sense of alienation that both immigrants and uh, members of the receiving community feel when a community goes through demographic change can either be the source of backlash Mm -hmm. or it can be the wellspring of creating, you know, a stronger community that works better for everyone because everyone wants to feel like they belong in a changing community. Yeah, really true. Um, how have you, um, are there any, I, I mean, I love stories because I think they just are so powerful. Anything anyone has said to you about uh, being asked to be involved or feeling a little alienated and then uh, being brought in? Or is, is there anything you can share about uh, something you might have heard from someone in that position? That's a great question. I'm just racking my brain now <laughs> to think of <laughs> something that, that fits that description. Those stories are are common across the community, and I know one of the places um, that we've been working in uh, is in the suburbs of Atlanta. So former mayor of Atlanta, under the current mayor, established an initiative, a a Welcoming Atlanta initiative, and there's an office now in the city of Atlanta. And then we and a number of other partners uh, in the region wanted to do work uh, in the outlying suburbs, which is actually where the, the majority of the immigrant communities are living now. And through that, uh, we did a pretty in-depth um, process of going out and talking to residents about, you know, the kinds of experiences they were having. And I think, you know, the the responses to that, you know, gave us both um, some really great concrete ideas about what it would take to build a more welcoming community. And that was important for not just us, but everyone working on that initiative from businesses to local governments to, to other leaders to hear. Um, but also, I mean, we heard again and again just how validated people felt, you know, by having the question asked of them. Um, and I think, it's, you know, especially in a moment where there's just, you know, a lot of fear, particularly in Georgia, some really dangerous legislation, dangerous to people, dangerous right. to the economy, um, dangerous messages, you know, that are really othering people and dehumanizing people, you know, I think to, to be you know, made whole by being, you know, respected and visible, you know, it's such an important counter to the kinds of things people are hearing when they turn on the radio or or pick up a newspaper. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's one of the challenges. I mean, I think one of the challenges a a lot of organizations we've talked to and and Civity ourselves face is, you know, the work we do is is not one-on-one, but it's community by community. It's group by small group by small group, whereas in the mass media, um, there are there are these large scale messages of othering and large scale messages of um, of you know division and and it is it is challenging to 
come at that with the full force that it pushes itself down on the community. And so I'm wondering if, uh, you know, and, and there's, the work is great, but I'm wondering if there's, um, you know, either a fear factor or resistance to some of this as far as when you move up the ladder into the areas where change can be made systemically? Or have you found that uh, the people in those positions are willing to uh, embrace or, or are hungering for uh, ways to counter the mass media messages we're, we're getting? Yeah, I mean, I think this goes back to what we were talking about earlier. I think there are far more bystanders that want to be upstanders than there are you know, people who are, um, you know, truly, you know, deeply opposed. Um, so that's, I think, one important thing yeah. um, to just keep reminding ourselves of. Yeah. You talked about being um, explicit, and I think it's also important, you know, when talking about these kinds of issues and talking about immigration to be explicit about the role of, of race and racism, you know, which is when we're talking about the institutional piece, you know, how our biases play out when they become attached to laws um, and policies, um, and the way that we're designing communities. And I think, you know, we, we, you know, we are playing against human biology, uh, in trying to undo that. And, and that's a hard thing. Nobody, nobody wants to be told, uh, that, um, that they're a racist. And yet, you know, for, for all of us, you know, there are things that we do, uh, and biases that we hold sure. um, that, you know, that uphold uh, laws and, um, you know, and practices that are really wrong. They're wrong for our communities as a whole, um, and they're wrong for, for people of color who are, you know, impacted by them more more than others. So, um, you know, I think, but I think because now there's a greater awareness of that, you know, I think we encounter far more people who you know, who want to confront that and just, you know, are, are trying to understand how. Um, and I actually think, I mean, some of the work that we're going to be doing with Civity and, and, and a number of the communities that are uh, the pilots for that work, you know, have really attached this to um, some of the broader work they're doing around diversity, equity, and inclusion, um, and, you know, t tackling how othering and racism show up um, in, you know, in the kinds of programs and services that local governments are are providing. And I think that's powerful because they will be the role models for, for others to follow. Yeah, absolutely true. Um, so yeah, uh, the work, the, the seeding civity initiative is very exciting and we're so thankful to be working with you on that. What, what prompted, uh, the civity welcoming America connection? I mean, other than the obvious, we're doing very similar work, but, but how did that connection come about? Well, I think, you know, as I said earlier, we're just in this moment now where um, it's going to take more than one organization trying to chip away at some of these, you know, deeper forces um, that, you know, have always been with us uh, in the U.S. and, and probably as, as a human race. Um, but we're seeing them show up in, you know, in how our democracy is functioning now and, um, and certainly, you know, with migration as a growing trend and how communities are are struggling with, uh, you know, how to adapt. Um, so, you know, I think at Welcoming America, we realize that uh, we, you know, can't just be, um, you know, delivering our programs and, and calling it a day. It really is going to take building a movement of, um, of people and organizations who are committed to the task of uh, strengthening relationships, strengthening the fabric um, that ties us together as communities, as a nation, as a human race. So, you know, we've been we've been on the lookout for collaborators 
um, who are interested in doing that and who can be part of putting tools and practices into the hands of leaders um, so that this is you know less of a question of why and whether, but a question of how. Um, and so I think, you know, Civity was really, uh, Civity's models were really um, interesting to us because that, you know, is, I think, where you're focusing your energies. And, uh, you know, if we can boil this down to the practice and help communities unleash that, I think we'll be in a very different place. Yeah, yeah. Now, in the Seeding Civity initiative that, that Welcoming America is partnering on, there are four new communities that, uh, that we're going to focus on. Um, Allegheny County, Pennsylvania, Champaign-Urbana, Illinois. Uh, Salt Lake County, Utah, and San Jose, California. Can you talk a little bit about why those communities? Well, I think um, these are all places that have seen demographic change or who are seeking demographic change. I think, you know, particularly Allegheny County, Pennsylvania, for example, is is a place, you know, that has is home to Pittsburgh. Uh, It's a part of the country that has gone through a period of losing population and um, wants to uh, restabilize by tracking, keeping people, and in, in order to do that, um, they need to make sure that everyone can really put down roots. So, you know, they they and others uh, have a vested interest in in being an inclusive community. They're all places that have developed um, some infrastructure to make that happen, whether that's through uh, a government office or through a collaborative. Um, in the case of Champaign uh, Urbana, which is also part of the university YMCA. So, you know, within the YMCA structure, the YMCA has been a terrific uh, partner of ours uh, in doing this welcoming work, um, as well as the university uh, there. So they've got some infrastructure behind this. Um, And I think all of them, you know, recognize that if they, you know, want to move forward the the broader policy agendas they have, it's really critical to be bringing people together at an interpersonal level to support, you know, that sort of more um, human-to-human bridge-building work. Mm-hmm. Um, so they all put forward interesting proposals to do that, and uh, that's how we ended up with this group. Oh, I love it. That's great. No, we're very excited. Um, w- when you um, when you consider someone, or actually, I actually don't know how the process works, so I'm curious. You have a partner network. So how do you either decide who is included in the partner network, or how does that process work? Right. So we have uh, we have a membership network, um, and uh, there's about 150 members in it. About half of them are local governments. The other half are mostly community-based organizations, ranging from uh, YMCA's. We have a national partnership with the Y to groups that are you know very specifically focused on um, immigrant communities, uh, economic development issues, a whole host of things. But in general, they are. Uh, groups that want to be leading work um, both within their own organizations and in a community uh, to make it a more welcoming place. And uh, they apply. They apply to become members. Um, There are some responsibilities and commitments they make. And then our role is to really support them and connect them to one another and and give them tools. Um, In the case of local governments, um, the bar is a little bit higher in terms of our expectations that they'll be proactively working to uh, move policy change and then in addition to our membership network, it's also possible to become certified as a welcoming community, which is a much more rigorous effort um, for those who want to uh, lift up the value of welcoming, um, but also have some accountability behind that. Uh, we come in and do a, a very intensive audit of uh, programs and services and then uh, hold that up as a mirror to the community, um, give them a chance to uh, make sure that they're able to meet the welcoming standard 
Um, and if they do meet it, uh, then then we give them a seal of certification, which they can use to market themselves for trade, tourism, and investment, which they can use to really show their communities that they're they're acting on this uh, value of, of being welcoming. Oh, I love that. I and I don't, you 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 have actually answered this in in some ways as we've talked, but I wanted to ask you explicitly uh, in in your in your uh, statement on your homepage, you say welcoming can lead to prosperity, uh, and that's a word that I don't often see in the language of, of this kind of work, but I think it's a beautiful word because in, in between welcoming things to prosperity, you talk about inclusion. But can you talk a little bit about why Welcoming America chose prosperity as one of the words to showcase? Well, I think prosperity suggests that, you know, that there is economic value plus. So we know yeah. that, there's a, that there is a, a lot of research out there showing uh, at the individual level, at the organizational level, and at the community level, that investing in uh, not just diversity but inclusion uh, more specifically leads to better business outcomes, leads to uh, greater wealth in the community. Uh, there's a great uh, piece of research called Soul of the Community that the Knight Foundation did some years back that identified uh, that openness and welcoming were one of three key factors um, that people felt were important uh, for for them to be able to put down roots in a community. And that sense of attachment uh, is tied to community GDP. Mm-hmm. So lots of ways that we can connect the dots between uh, the economics of inclusion and <laughs> yes. the sort of moral value of inclusion. But prosperity to me means more because we know that when a community becomes a place that everyone feels valued in, they bring more of themselves to that community, more of their culture, more of their participation civically uh, they, you know, they open their businesses, they, they buy homes and that's just good for everyone. Um, so at an intuitive level, I think it makes sense also. And, and, and at a, I mean, at a personal level, my own family came to this country as, uh, as refugees. Uh, my grandmother went on to open a small business, uh, which was the backbone of, of her family, of my family, but it was also part of the $210 billion a year of economic contributions that immigrants make in just the city of New York alone. Um, so, you know, I think we we know that this is where that inclusion is where prosperity lies, uh, and our work is about helping communities get there. Yeah, I appreciate you responding to that, and I think that's so important uh, because I think uh, those who are either skeptical of this work or who don't know how to connect with it also don't know how it's tangibly helpful. Um, and by tying it to that concept of, yeah, it's not only good for people and it's nice to do, it's also something that can benefit everyone economically. And I think that's really an important message to send out as part of the holistic message uh, that goes out about this kind of work. And I also appreciate you sharing, um, that was one of the questions I wanted to ask you, was your personal reasons for leading Welcoming America, how you came to this work. And you mentioned that your family were refugees. Would you be willing to share a little bit more about, about that part of your story? Yeah, of course. Well, I'll give you the the pre and the post. Okay. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so the reason my my family were refugees, my grandparents were both uh, Holocaust survivors, oh, wow. and you know, I I grew up with their stories, which were stories of love of losing just about everyone they they loved in the world to where uh, scapegoating and hate can take us, and um, you know, have just always been driven on this quest to understand. You know how can that happen? How how can we prevent that from happening? Um, and you know the, these forces of othering are very human and they're very powerful. Um, and I believe, and I have seen you know time and again through my work at Welcoming America, and uh, 
and in my own life that, you know, that we have the tools to, to stop them. Um, so that has been one thing driving me, you know, after my, uh, my grandmother, uh, initially opened her business in, um, in Brooklyn, New York, and then later moved it, uh, to a small town in Maryland. And I, I was a child at the time, but I still remember the moment that, uh, she opened the business. Uh, on Main Street, and the mayor came out to cut the ribbon. That's this is what you did when somebody oh opened the business. <laughs> yeah, and I, you know, I've been reflecting on it. I, I know that that moment. I mean, certainly meant a lot to me as a child, uh, and I and I know meant a lot to my grandmother. And you know, that mayor came out and, and cut the ribbon, and he had her vote for his life. <laughs> uh, you know, and that's the power of uh, you know being seen and valued. Yeah. Um, so you know, I think about mayors today. And the fact, you know, that, you know, they have this choice point, too, of, you know, whether to make, you know, members of their community feel valued or not. And, you know, this can feel really touchy-feely, but it's also 100% in our self-interest and certainly in the self-interest of any politician or business leader, you know, who's looking to, you know, create a sense of affinity uh, with a new community. In the case of this town, I mean, my grandmother's business opened, uh, you know, at a time when main streets were losing businesses uh, and it became, you know, an important anchor in the community. So, you know, just the, the potential that we're leaving on the table when we don't help our neighbors feel valued, just huge. And and that drives me every day. Yeah, absolutely true. And, you know, that um, it probably it took something for the mayor to get out there. Of course, it was it was a chunk of his day. But in the end, that was a, a small gesture that led to these huge positive outcomes. You know, the, the feeling of feeling included because the mayor came and, and cut the ribbon for her store and the feeling of wanting to contribute back. You know, those those are such powerful drivers. Um, and and just by honestly d- doing somewhat smallish things or, or, you know, touchy feely things that really aren't necessarily touchy feely at all are just sort of part of, of, uh, including humanity or of, of being human. Um, and, and I really appreciate you sharing your story. Thank you. And your grandmother's story. Um, so I can, yeah, I can, of course. thank you. I can see how, how that really may have been formative as far as how you ended up here at Welcoming America now. And, and what are you most proud of as far as what Welcoming America's impact has been on communities? And, and you can talk of course in general, and if there's anything specific, like if there's a specific community or a group that you want to call out, We'd love to hear about that as well. Let me share two things. I I mean, one, I think I mentioned before that there are more than 50 of these plans, more than 40 of these offices. We have 150 uh, members working in about 500 communities around the U.S. And increasingly, we're seeing uh, groups globally doing this work Uh, in Australia. There's a welcoming Australia. Uh, The government of New Zealand has really adapted and adopted a, a welcoming communities approach. So I think just the you know the proliferation of this work has been astounding over the last decade uh, since Welcoming America was created. What I feel most proud of, and I'm just you know reflecting back to to what you were saying about the sort of small acts uh, leading to to big things. If you talk to any teacher in this country, they, they understand uh, when working with children, you know how powerful that is, and you know how meaningful something small is. And and right now, a lot of kids you know, are hearing uh, really terrible messages about themselves, that they don't belong. There's, we're seeing an increase in, in bullying and, and certainly incidences of hate. Um, and so I just think about the impact of, you know, the, these messages of belonging and the, the work around belonging for young people in this country right now. 
you know, for all young people and also for the quarter of kids, one in four kids in this country who are immigrants or in, in immigrant families. This is this is our future. Uh, and so to know that in, you know, the communities that are working with, with intention to, to create a place for everyone to belong, that these children are going to grow up hearing that they have a place that, you know, they can succeed, uh, that all kids can succeed. Um, I just feel proud of that because I know how important it is, uh, not only for my own children, but for all of our children. Yeah. No, that's so true. I, you know, that brings to mind uh, both the story of your grandmother and what you just shared. Uh, it brings to mind actually a, a negative moment that a friend of mine turned positive. He's uh, he's a dance uh, professor and he's an amazing dancer and he happens to also be a gay man. And uh, recently a, a news commentator scoffed at uh, Prince George taking ballet lessons. And so this this friend of mine wrote uh, a little a little bit on it and said, you know, that he knew when he was seven that he was that he was gay and that he was, you know, didn't belong or that was an outcast and that the dance studio was a place of safety for him. And that if he had heard someone in the public eye scoff at that, he said it would have been devastating. It would have it would have just torn him to pieces and so he's using his voice now to sort of counter and push back on that um but just the the power that a, a negative comment can have on stopping us in our tracks versus a power of these these you know positive messages or inclusive messages that can really drive us forward and 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 sort of i i also love i love that welcoming america is doing the work and i love that people are speaking up uh to push back a little on these things and i guess i love also that we have social media and, and a, a way to do this uh so that we can talk about this and, and make connections um anyway that story just kept coming to mind because it was it was such a powerful example of the opposite and yet we ha we can push back if we've been given the support and the inclusion. Um, and I think you're building the ability to do that in these communities as well, which I think is quite powerful. Well, and I also love in that story, the element of the arts. Uh, and one of the things that I'm very excited about in our work right now is a, um, a partnership with Art Place America, arts and uh, cultural institutions um, who can play a role in uh, fostering a more welcoming community, you know, be that museums or dance studios or <laughs> artists themselves uh, participating in, in leading these welcoming plans. Um, because, uh, you know, of all the tools that we have <laughs> to uh, help us understand one another, you know, not all of them are, are verbal. Um, right. And I think, you know, the arts give us a whole new vocabulary for uh, connecting and talking with one another, um, especially at a time when, you know, so many other things may get in the way of, of those communications. Yeah, that's so true. I'm so glad you brought that up because I think about all the things, you know, art can help us tell stories. And when we tell stories and share stories through the arts in whatever form, that can help bring out humanity. I, I, I believe there's been research showing that not only does reading help you grow your vocabulary, which can help you be more successful in life, but reading also helps grow empathy and it helps you understand other people's stories. And same with theater, same with dance, same with, with art, and also allowing people who might feel a little out of step with the mainstream or maybe don't feel included to um, find a place to do that and to, and to connect with people in that space. It's so important. And um, and I think that's another, another example of you can not only... Uh, do the touchy feely stuff in, through the arts, but you can help. Uh, you can help grow prosperity uh, because of all the benefits that arts can provide in that way. Um, so that's wonderful to hear that you're you're partnering in that way. 
I asked you what you were most proud of and you said you wanted to share two things. You shared one and then I jumped in. Is there something else you wanted to share about that? <laughs> well, I think I was talking about, you know, one being the the proliferation of the ah. work and two being its um, its impact on, on children and our future. Got it. But if I could share a third thing. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just, I'm very excited about, you know, all of the new energy, I think that has, emerged, especially since the 2016 election, around the need to connect neighbors to one another. Um, And we are uh, in the process of launching a campaign called Building a Nation of Neighbors, which builds on some things that we've done uh, for a long time at Welcoming America, including uh, Welcoming Week, uh, which is coming up September 13th. Yes, yes, uh, definitely want to talk about that. The 22nd, yep. And, you know, really... There are positive role models for this work all over the country, and we know that we're not. You know, the idea of being welcoming, as our founder David uh, likes to say, you know, welcomers have been around since the beginning of time. But I think you know now, now that there's such a hunger and interest around doing this work, uh, it's about creating the platforms for people to to really unleash these ideas. So, both in the campaign and also during Welcoming Week, um, we're looking for and inviting folks of all stripes to host events and activities uh, that are aimed at lifting up uh, this message of, of being welcoming and its benefits and also developing projects um, that bring people together. And I think there's really infinite um, ways that that can happen, whether it's through the arts, uh, over a meal, um, through an educational program, in dialogue. We've just invited the, you know, the creativity of communities to come up with things, and it's just you know, astounding to see um, the, you know, the kinds of projects that people have developed, you know, to to make uh, to make real on our tagline, which is building a nation of neighbors. Oh, so great! I want to hear about the specific projects, but I want to take one step back. Welcoming Week is coming up, and and you're pulling partners together. But talk a little bit about what exactly is Welcoming Week, and how did you come up with this beautiful idea? Well, the most beautiful part of the idea is that our <laughs> members came up with it oh! uh, many years ago when, yeah, many years ago uh, when we were but a handful of uh, affiliated members, um, our partners were together in a room and said, you know, what can we do to really amplify the, the messages behind our work and, you know, and show the, you know, show the country that, you know, this is who we really can be. Um, and that gave rise to Welcoming Week. Um, so, you know, like most great ideas, it, it came from turning outward and, and turning to our members um, to see the idea. And it's just really grown from them. So uh, I think last week, uh, about 400 communities held about 2,000 events, and we had more than 80,000 people participating. Oh, wow. uh, we hope to to grow that this year. Um, and, you know, everybody from YMCA's uh, who sent out uh, welcoming messages and held events throughout their, uh, their footprint um, to mayor's offices, to uh, arts and cultural institutions, um, you know, have been participating. And uh, if you go to welcomingweek.org, you can see some of the kinds of events that are happening. Or uh, if you've got an event that you want to host, uh, you can sign up to do that there as well. Excellent. And we're really glad to have Sivity as a as a partner in 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 Welcoming Week. Oh yeah, Sivity is very very excited about it, um, and we're we're definitely getting involved. What are um, uh, definitely go to welcomingweek.org to check out what's what's offered and if you'd like to participate. Um, but because we're here on a, an audio podcast, I'm curious if you'd share a couple of uh, of highlights that are coming up uh, during Welcoming Week this year. Uh, well, I um, put you on the spot. So sorry. 
<laughs> no, no. Despite our name is Welcoming America, I mentioned earlier that we're doing some global work and our um, partners in New Zealand are hosting some interesting events ranging from fashion show uh, to some really interesting intercultural work. If you happen to be in uh, Anchorage, Alaska, there's some really interesting events happening there that delve into both the history of Alaska and also um, not only the experience of migration, but of climate change, um, because, of course, those two things are are um, deeply tied together uh, globally, but also in a place like Anchorage. If you are in a place like uh, Redwood City, California, um, there's a bystander intervention training, so helping people understand how to intervene and, and be an upstander in these times. Um, a number of communities are hosting uh, documentaries. One that I um, have become especially fond of is a film called Strangers in Town, uh, which uh, is going to be shown um, not only in its own hometown <laughs> uh, of Garden City, Kansas, but also in uh, Kansas City, Missouri. Um, Strangers in Town is about the city, Garden City, Kansas, which um, had the experience of you know, a pretty fast and large um, immigrant growth and managed very well through that. Thank you very much. <laughs> and I think, uh, you know, sort of exemplifies how, uh, you know, often in, you know, places we might not expect the experience of immigration is actually going well uh, when neighbors can come together um, and the community can can, can create an environment um, to make people feel feel at home. That's wonderful. So, yeah, that is Welcoming Week this year, September 13th through 22nd, if I got that right. If you want to get involved or find out what's happening in your community, go to welcomingweek.org. One other, a uh, couple other things before we we wrap up today. I want to commend you uh, in, in looking at your blog in preparation for this interview. I saw something from June 27th on how to get involved in the count for Census 2020, which I appreciated so much because it's so mission oriented. Um, it wasn't something I would have naturally thought of, but of course the idea of inclusion means including everyone we can in the census. And so I, I just want to, um, wanted to call out that blog because it was, it was more than just having people talk and bringing people together, but it was really an action oriented, uh, thing is, is there anything else you'd like to highlight that, uh, welcoming America or its partners are doing to, um, take action in, uh, with regard to inclusion? First of all, thank you for um, for picking out that piece on census, and you know, obviously, really critical to make sure that everybody is is counted. It has a huge economic bottom line for communities, um, so we've been uh, really supporting our members, you know, to make sure that they are playing an active role uh, in a complete count, particularly at a time when you know there were efforts to try to <laughs> prevent right. uh, immigrants from participating. Uh, it's all the more important um, that communities where that trust can really. Um, be built, um, you know, are making efforts to do that. You know, if you look at the welcoming standard, um, and if you just Google welcoming standard, it, it should come up pretty uh, quickly. There are very concrete things um, that communities that are welcoming uh, should be doing. So besides having the infrastructure in place, you know, making sure that it's easy for people to learn English, to seek uh, citizenship if they're eligible for that, you know, to participate in the political process through voting or through civic engagement, you know, whether that's serving on a PTA or serving on a board or commission, that's just crucial. Some of the places that we're working with have done really innovative things like creating, example uh, that I love from Austin, Minnesota, creating an honorary uh, council member position that is uh, currently being held by a gentleman who was formerly, uh, I believe, a refugee. You know, th those are very tangible things that a community can do um, in terms of its civic fabric. 
building trust uh, with police, uh, looking at things like how code enforcement is done uh, to make sure that we're not unfairly penalizing people and then putting them into uh, the criminal justice system when, you know, maybe they uh, burnt something that they shouldn't have burnt (laughs) uh, on, you know, in a backyard (laughs) and, uh, you know, making sure that we're both educating the community and law enforcement um, about, you know, what the appropriate customs are in a community. A lot of places are focused uh, in the realm of economic development, of working with their workforce systems to retool and, and make sure that people who are uh, English language learners or maybe who, who came to the to the U.S. Um, with you know an advanced degree or a set of skills, you know, are are able to use those so that um, our economy can can benefit from that. A lot of immigrants, like my own grandmother, are entrepreneurs. Um, in fact just about all of the growth of Main Street businesses uh, in the last couple of decades have come from uh, from immigrant entrepreneurs. And so we as a whole society can benefit a lot from helping um, those entrepreneurs, you know, open and grow their businesses while also helping, uh, you know, folks who aren't immigrants uh, open and grow their businesses. So lots of, lots of very tangible and practical things that communities can do um, that aren't just about the kind of relational aspect of belonging and, and welcoming um, but really get to the kinds of things that make um, immigrants and everyone in a community have the tools to to succeed and, and thrive and, and raise a family and be and feel valued and contribute back um, to the communities they call home. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, so a couple more questions. How, one, we talked about going to welcomingweek.org, but how can people participate or support Welcoming America, uh, participate in or support Welcoming America? Well, uh, besides participating in Welcoming Week or becoming a member, um, and both of those things uh, you can find out about on our website, um, we we want to see as many communities become certified uh, as we can. That's our best way of knowing that we're really getting to this tipping point where, where welcoming is just business as usual. So if you live in a community that uh, hasn't been certified as welcoming, we'd love to help you uh, get that started. And of course, you know, as a as a nonprofit organization, um, we are always welcoming folks to um, get involved, whether that's uh, by making a donation or volunteering with us. Uh, and information about those things are are also on our website at, at welcomingamerica.org. Wonderful. Is there anything else you'd like to share that I haven't asked you? Any hopes for the future? Any other important information that we should be aware of? Well, I just uh, appreciate the chance to uh, you know speak with you and and with your audience today. And uh, you know, I think oftentimes we think about immigration as this really uh, you know intractable uh, challenge. Um, and yet, I think you know again and again, communities show that uh, you know not only is it not a challenge, but it's really an opportunity that helps us step back and say, what can we do to make this community more welcoming for everyone? Uh, and you know that's very counter to the kinds of messages that people are hearing right now in the news, um, and that's exactly why we need more of it. Yes. Um, so I just you know appreciate the time to share that message and hope that you know if you're listening to this program in in whatever you're doing, whether it's in your in your own organization or even just in your everyday interactions with people in the community, you know have the chance to reflect on what that value means to you and and how it can be lived out. I believe that we can get there. I believe that you know when my daughters uh, are my age, they'll live in a very different society, but that's not going to happen if we don't. Um, act on our instincts and and take advantage of the tools that organizations like Civity and, and Welcoming America are putting out to to help us build uh, that better society. 
Thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time to join us today. Uh, it's been wonderful to speak with you. Uh, we have been talking with Rachel Parrish, Executive Director of Welcoming America. If you're interested in connecting with them, please go to welcomingamerica.org or to participate in Welcoming Week uh, from September 13th to 22nd, you can go to welcomingweek.org. Thank you so much for listening to This is Civity Radio. I am Gina Valeria and look forward to talking to you soon. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting? Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.